You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers. With Saya, Anissa and Boroma. And this is the year and yak for 2021. Hi everyone, I'm Saya. I'm Anissa. And I'm Boroma. And this is part three of our extremely epic, mammothly woolly year end yak of 2021. It is extremely woolly. <laughs> it's extremely woolly. Yeah. And on this part, we will be talking about the top dramas of the year, according to our beloved listeners, and also according to ourselves, and maybe arguing about them a little bit. We'll see. <laughs> Depends how much energy we have by the end. Yes. Now, before we yes. get into our listeners' choice awards, look how official I made that sound. <laughs> Did we become MTV? Apparently. (laughs) I wanted to explain how we kind of chose these dramas, the system we use. So every, like, we, we, of course, we started this collection early in December. And listeners were sending us three of their top dramas and one drama they hate or just not enjoyable for them. And the three dramas were ranked, of course. There was the best, the second best, the third best. And some of you tried to cheat and put in, like, multiple dramas. (laughs) In each categories. <laughs> we saw you, cheaters. <laughs> we, we saw that. <laughs> anyway, so the way this... Can't blame them, though. <laughs> so it is hard to choose. One submission had like two dramas in each. So there were basically six top three. Get up. Anyway, the way we decided to point the system is like... Everybody's first choice gets three points. Second choice gets two points. Third choice gets one point. And then worst gets minus one. (laughs) But how it's counted is like each drama, let's say Hometown Cha Cha Cha, maybe it's somebody's favorite, in which case it gets three and somebody else has put it as their second favorite. Then it's a plus two. And then somebody else, it's their third favorite. So it's three plus two plus one. So this is how we have counted this stuff and come up with the list like the top five. These were the ones who had the majority of the points. She's saying we, but this was all Porma doing all this work. <laughs> yeah, because I can't count. that out there. I feel like you guys are making that specific so that if anybody's confused, they know that it's happening because of Porma. <laughs> it's more like we have this because of Porma. Aww. Yeah, it was your idea. It was your execution. It was your hard work. So let's hear it. Okay, so... According to my amazing mathematical calculations, <laughs> these were the top five dramas from our listeners. So the number five <laughs> drama. We need a drum roll. Oh, yeah. We, the, we, <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Okay. Can you hear this? Yes. yes. The fifth most popular drama is Happiness. Yay. <laughs> The third place has a tie between Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha and Beyond Evil. And the second place has Yumi Cells, which is not surprising at all. But I was so surprised by first place because so many of you voted for this. Pause. Okay. (laughs) And it is... DP! Yay! So well-deserved. Yeah, it's it's highly well-deserved. And... For whatever reason, I was just not expecting. I honestly thought too many people hadn't watched DP. But turns out I was damn wrong. (laughs) All the people who watched it felt so strongly that they had to turn up at the ballot box. Yeah. That is how democracy works. (laughs) That is how democracy works. (laughs) It was 
mentioning to these two before we started recording that like, if you've been following our, you know, hashtag dramas over 2021, one tweet reviews of all the dramas that we've been watching. One, DP was one of the few that got like a ton of retweets and likes and people being like, yes, I really love this show. Like it had a really high level of engagement, whereas like others didn't really seem to have that like passionate response. So I think the people who did watch it really like very affected by it, which is mm-hmm. the case for me as well. Yeah, agreed. So thank you for turning up on the ballot box. You you made DP yes. win and we are proud you of kept you. democracy alive. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have one award that's not like arbitrarily decided by us <laughs> <laughs> based on very bizarre criteria yeah yeah but alongside that we you've also got your most hated category which has been a pretty enjoyable award as well yeah so it was like really diverse every voter had a different one so there wasn't much overlap the only two dramas that got multiple <laughs> Was drama votes <laughs> and they kind of they, they miraculously tie is O Master and Penthouse. I'm assuming both well, seasons. O Master <laughs> definitely gets my vote too. <laughs> so, what were some of the other hated dramas? I'm really curious. It was actually really diverse in that a lot of these dramas are really beloved. Okay, so like oh. the I'm just gonna read out some of like the other ones that got kind of multiple votes. She would never mm-hmm. know. So not worth it. And one of the voters put an added comment. Amazing cast. Amazingly diverse. But it was so not worth it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's how I feel too. I agree with you, listener. (laughs) Dali and Cocky Prince got a couple. You had Mad for Each Other, Jirisan, and Airs. Wait, that that doesn't count. That's not even this Somebody watched it this year. (laughs) Whoever you are out there, I feel you because my anger about airs lasted for years. So, okay, I get that. Luca, you are my spring. Nevertheless, Sisyphus. So basically, we have like you know, we like some of these dramas, but we get it. We get it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have made yourself heard. The most disliked is O Master (laughs) and Penthouse season two and three. Oh, also, I just want to point this out because I found it hilarious. One of the voters who voted against Omaster kind of wrote in, just writing this makes me vibrate with disdain. I agree. Ooh, I feel <laughs> Excellent the comment. disdain vibrations anytime I look at that name. Ooh. Yeah, so, well deserved. <laughs> those were our Listener's Choice Awards. You guys have been oh, hard. Thanks everyone for voting. <laughs> yes, thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> we promised to start earlier next year because I realized we started too late. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, not everyone is like us pushing a year's worth of drama watching into three weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, we're going to start the next part by seeing who between the three of us would win the most dramas watched award. And that will f- determine the order in which we go <laughs> as we talk about our personal top favorites of the year so how do you want to unveil our numbers are we just going to go around yeah okay shall i start yeah yeah go for it i'm actually not at a shameful number right now because i did squeeze in this <laughs> last few so i got myself to 17 completed dramas <gasps> nice i think that's pretty respectable so i'm actually tied with you at 17 oh yeah <laughs> so interesting i was not expecting that <laughs> Okay. But I also finished like three or four in the last couple of weeks. So. Yeah. Nice. 
I'm at 25 completed. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and 22 she watching. She wins, yeah. <laughs> so how should we have a tie break between you and me about who goes second, Anissa? Hmm. How many are currently watching? Whoever has more? I, no, I, you know what? I think we should do this by dramas dropped. So whoever drops the most dramas gets to go next. Oh, okay. Nice. So I dropped three dramas. That's oh. shameful. No, I dropped 10 dramas. Oh, wow. Here. You don't okay, even know. you win. You 100% win. <laughs> I'm not even counting stuff that I dropped before I finished one episode because then it would have been 11. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, you win either way. <laughs> I mean... Part of that is dramas that I think I will carry on watching, even though I'm not actively watching them. So otherwise I would have leveled with you at 10, actually. Interesting. But yeah, I'm happy to let you take this. So the order in which we will go is Porma will first tell us about her favorites of the year and then Anissa and then me. Let's start with our number three best drama of the year. Go, Porma. Take okay. away. If you guys had heard the first two parts of the Yer and Yak, you might not expect this but do bet your service <laughs> what <laughs> <It's> the- <laughs> i am actually surprised <laughs> i'm i'm so interested to hear the reason for this because it's so inguk does there need to be more reason no because you know what so inguk was kind of underused in do bet your service but okay. at the end of the day i just found like the beginning was really strong and yes i struggled in the middle i did but i really liked the mythology of the world i liked the overall storyline that they were trying to do. I like some of the character moments and Park Bo Young actually had some incredible character moments with other the other mm-hmm. cast of characters and she honestly kind of like carried the show through. Even though Soin Kok got a lot of like really emo scenes, I thought they should have used him differently. They should have given, made him more, you know, quicksilvery. Like he should have been most, more of a... Mercurial. Mercurial, yeah. yeah. Instead he just became kind of dull. <laughs> halfway through mm, but yeah. it, despite all of that I thought they ended really strong and that that saved the drama for me if they had ended badly after that middle that would have killed it but I really loved the cast of character I really love mythology like this and there was this strange mother-son relationship between the <laughs> really the child-bodied goddess and this eternally living incarnation of doom. I just loved all of these relationships. And just, just mm. Park Bo Young's relationship with editor Cha. It's just that there were a lot of these things that kind of saved the drama for me. And at the end of the day, it's a drama that I can go back and rewatch, which that's not true of a lot of dramas. I am going to skip <laughs> some parts because... It gets slow, but I will still rewatch it. So third best drama. This is completely off topic, but you mentioning the child goddess reminded me that I wanted to have a category for worst wig in the Gogamas, (laughs) and I forgot. And that would have been that actress in imitation because her head was actually square for the entirety of the game. I felt so sorry for her. Like, she's a very beautiful girl. Like, why would you do that? Well, her wig in Doom was pretty horrible as well. But the one in imitation... It's it like next level. It's oh, so goodness. bad. This actress is Jang Ji So. I completely yes. agree with Anissa. Yeah, she really needed a better wig in imitation. Poor thing. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. So, my number three pick, and literally, I changed this yesterday <laughs> <laughs> because I finished Idol the Coup. Yeah. I was going to put DP as my third best show, but I actually have to choose Idol the Coup because 
I mean, there's a reason that Misang was like my top favorite drama for years. And it still is probably like tied for number one, maybe two. There's just something about the way that this writer does character and relationships. And probably listeners of the show know that like Slice of Life is my favorite genre. And it's even if I enjoy other types of genres a lot, it's the one that's always like closest to my heart and it moves me the most. Mm-hmm. And this writer, Jung Yun Jung, just has such a gift at doing Slice of Life in a way that feels authentic. It feels real and lived in without ever being boring. And nothing ever feels extra or unnecessary or like too mundane. It's mundane in the best way. And this show just did such an incredible job. Like, I think probably my only complaint about me saying was that it was too dominated by men. Mm -hmm. And this completely gets rid of that complaint because there are so many amazing women in this cast. And she's done that thing again, where like I started the, you know, I started the drama completely hating a couple of characters that by the end I loved to death, you know, and and that doing that like in an organic way. And just, I mean, I'll be here for an hour if I want to talk about everything that I loved about this show. But, you know, the music, the character moments, everyone in the cast was really good. But the people who stood out to me, well, maybe with like one or two minor exceptions, but they didn't bother me too much. But I really want to give a shout out to Hani, or her real name is Anhyun, as the lead, Kim Jenna, who is the leader of Cotton Candy and kind of propels the whole story forward in a lot of ways. And Kwak Jiang, who plays Cha Jae-hak, who's like the new CEO oh, of, like the, of the company. He's so good and he's so good in this. I've missed him, honestly. I haven't seen him in a long time. Also, all the girls were amazing, but An Sol-bin, who plays Magne Oh Hyun-ji, I've never seen her before. She's so charismatic. She's so funny. She's so like, she has that something, that it quality. I don't know what it is, but I'm looking forward to seeing what she does next. And I also really loved Kang Jae-jun as their old manager, Jin Duo, who was like with them since they debuted and was just like the most adorable teddy bear that made me cry oceans of tears. Aww. Oh, um, the fact that like, I think a lot of times idol dramas or like music dramas will have some type of romantic storyline. And that sucks a lot of oxygen from, you know, the industry stuff and the work stuff and the friendship stuff. And this, there was no romance, even though they very legitimately and easily could have inserted one in there. Like there was so much potential and chemistry between some of the characters. They easily could have had a romance. They just did not do that. And I think that was such a good decision. It was 12 episodes. So, you know, that's like already putting it on my good list. (laughs) But yeah, it was perfect. And, you know, like for me, the dialogue has to work for me to really love a show. And the dialogue, like there were moments where I was just like, oh, what a good line, like over and over again. So, yes, loved it. (laughs) <laughs> it's your turn, Saya. <laughs> oh, it's my turn. So I will begin this by saying that I haven't actually finished this drama yet, but I have a good feeling about it. <laughs> and that is happiness, which I spoke about at length in part two. So I don't think I need to say everything again here, but consider that in that part of the awards that I basically created categories in order to reward the aspects of the drama that I loved. <laughs> so, you know, this is the drama that stars Han Hyoju and Park Hyung-sik. And I just realized the thing I knew, but I'd forgotten until I literally just looked it up now, that this, of course, is from the writer of Watcher and the director. So the director is Angiro and the writer is Han Sang-un. And of course, I mean, Watcher was my absolute 
top drama the year before last, which was the year that it aired. It was the year before last, right? What was the last year? I don't remember. Anyway. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked to find out that Rookie Historian was 2019. I thought that was last year. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Watcher is also 2019. So, I mean, this is all making sense to me now, what I'm enjoying about happiness so much and what is so interesting and so good. Just like everything, Han Hyoju is so good. The way the story is set up, the way that it looks, the music, the peril, the 12-episodeness of it, and the way that it amplifies all of these small human things into these huge, high stakes. They're not even moments, they're arcs. And the way that the, each character is so detailed and textured. And actually, so nearly everyone in, in this sort of ensemble of the people who are locked together in this building, which is under a lockdown because of the outbreak of this infectious disease that turns people into blood-thirsting zombie-type thingies. Mm. But all of that is offset against this discussion about what makes us human and are you at fault falling prey, like quote-unquote falling prey to a sickness? Is it a moral failing in you to have become one of these creatures? And they just ask these big questions that you can see, of course, that it's applied to this fantasy situation, but you can also see the comment that it's making on the way that we treat sickness in the real world and the way that we treat the sick and who's expendable and who's not, who survives and who doesn't, who gets resources and who doesn't, who exploits resources at whose expense. There's just so much going on in there. But at the center of it all, you've got this relationship between not just Han Hyoju and Park Hyung-sik, but their unit of the people that they trust. And they're almost like a little family unit. You've got, you know, the other Lee Jin-hyuk who is also trapped with them at the time that the lockdown comes down. You've got a little girl who also, design or by circumstance, you find out as you watch it, is locked in with them. And so there's this whole, like the dynamic of the way these family structures set up between people who are not necessarily family and the way that you are forced to depend on the cooperation of people who have very different interests and goals and motives. It's just so interesting. Like everything that you can want to understand about how humans work is sort of put into this high pressure, close quarters bubble of things about to happen. And then the drama is about making it all happen. And it's just so good. And Actually, it's based less on everybody else's opinions and more on my sister's, who was like, yeah, happiness. That was good. Her praise is very difficult to get. And she actually watched this before me. And I was mentioning to her, I'm about to watch. And she's like, oh, yeah. And when she has nothing to say <laughs> except that, that I'm like, OK, I can expect this drama to be good. Mm -hmm. So that's happiness. Might not make you happy, but <laughs> definitely you yeah. know satisfying anyway <laughs> yeah that was saya's very moving ode to happiness what was your number two drama Poroma? my number two drama <laughs> is actually less of a surprise it was dali and kamsuta i was trying to distill what i loved about this drama so much and it's the main lead it's very rarely do we have dramas where the main romantic lead they are both pretty much completely non-problematic and also kind of aspirational like their arc 
is it just makes you love them so much and you love them together even more like you're so happy they got together because really they need each other in their lives and so in this drama you have muhak played by kimanji and you have dali played by parker young so they have like the drama starts with like a class differential where supposedly kim dali comes from like this upper class really rich family and jin mohyak is part of this social climbing he's the skion of this chain of gamjatang restaurant owner and they just really just about made it like his childhood was spent in poverty and then he and his father just created this string of restaurants that are doing really well right now so they are completely the new rich and so you know you have the usual tropes of the new rich being kind of gosh and they're really money grubby and initially that's what you see and if that is a trope that repels you immediately i can understand people not liking the drama and backing off but that's not what dali and gamjatang is about eventually for one thing i'm just going to talk about the main mm-hmm. cast because there's a lot to be said about the rest of the cast members but my true love is dali and jin mohyok and dali is introduced as this genius forgetful you know kind of like an inventor type person she's not an inventor she's like an art like <laughs> she is a doctorate in art and and stuff like but she has that thing like you know the forgetful scientist thing except oh, she's yeah. also yeah, yeah. she's like the absent minded yeah, 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 yeah. person right 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 yeah. but no no but or absent minded professor as well she's not the absent minded creative person she's not creative so much as she is like an academic she's the absent minded academic yeah, so she has professor. right yeah. she has the trousers <laughs> and she cycles to her university and all of that stuff and she forgets to eat because she's studying so much and everybody oh, thinks she's oh. she was yes. an academic She oh, is. I kind of want to watch it now. So yeah. that's, that's how her character is introduced, and I love her so much. And so it's established right off the bat that she's really highly intelligent. But the running theme in the story is also other people pointing out to Dali how privileged she is. That like all of the things that she's lauded for, that she at a very young age she's gotten certain degrees that you know it takes you a long time to get, and all of those things she could only get because she had a really rich father funding her education. and this is all true so her privileges are constantly pointed out to her by less privileged people and now this is a spoiler guys if you're listening to this please just like understand that if you haven't watched this drama this is a bit of a spoiler but not like a destructive like a major spoiler thing she was adopted she was a foundling and so there Ooh. is another character in the drama who came from a similar circumstance but was not adopted into a rich family like dali was so at one point of course there is like a building you know tension happening between these two characters dali and this other character and that other character points out to dali like they could have switched places you could have been living my life i could have been living your life and it's really true up to a certain point because what makes you love dali is not her fancy clothes and her really high degrees and the fact that she's like gifted genius person <laughs> it's because <laughs> dali when put in a really really horrible situation her father has just died she has to keep his museum afloat and there is like a ton of debt and people are constantly coming at her and she has no support system her support system has completely broken off from her despite coming from a rich family her rich family now just wants to take 
everything that she had she had inherited that had any value away from her because she's a foundling and they didn't really accept her she's adopted so they don't really see her as blood so she's about to lose the museum that her father loved so much she is going through this horrible bereavement period and she is facing financial ruin but what makes you love dali is that she just will not give up and she will not give up not in a way that she is willing to trample on other people it's that she's not willing to trample on other people she is going to keep trying her hardest her damnest by just doing the right thing again and again and again and again and like every time she has an opportunity to do something in a wrong way she's going to choose the right harder path and mm-hmm. because of the way she looks and because of the way she's presented a lot of people keep assuming that she'll take the easier path and they keep offering her the easier path but she doesn't take it and you just you have to love her because she does it with such grace because she has so many people who just doubt that she'll be able to revive the museum again that she is worthy to be her father's successor and she proves herself worthy not by like bulldozing over other people but like slowly winning people over and like bringing them together to be a team so i thought park young just did a smashing job in this and now we come to my love oh my god kim and jay is just <laughs> <laughs> Ah, I mean, I loved him in Brahms last year, but he just transformed as Jin Mohyok. And to be fair, Jin Mohyok is not easy to take in the first few episodes. He is really loud and like really abrasive. But it's there's something about Jin Mohyok trying to be loud and abrasive, and then he breaks into these small, like this brilliant smile, mostly directed at Dali Kim Go Young. like he can't help himself he just finds her so utterly charming and you can see that on his face and she just forget about his abrasiveness mm it's such a contrast to his like very sober down tone hero in do like brahms who was like almost depressed all the time correct correct absolutely this is a totally different character and here's the thing i really grew to love jinmo york's shouty personality because I explained to you guys what Dali is, right? She's adopted into this rich family, but she does she has an upbringing of privilege. And she does see money as something that you only like you need money to run the museum and to pay my employees. Money is important, but you should worry about art more than you should be like you shouldn't like be too greedy about money is how she sees things. And Jin Mohyok sees things differently he sees the economics of money as something that is absolutely essential and art is optional so in his world when when the two of them collide and start working together whenever kim dali gets too abstract in the way she deals with things like for instance there is a sponsorship situation where she wants to have this event but she doesn't have the money for it and jin mohyok is like what are you going to do about funds and she immediately says well i'll just you know ask sponsors and he's like you're deeply in debt you have no money of your own and you're telling me that you're going to take other people's money to have a fancy event instead of working to make sure that you're earning money and the way he puts it i have the entire dialogue exchange <laughs> written down because that was just brilliantly done like he takes her down 
properly. And it's just, I don't see conversations like this happening often on my screen. And he doesn't do it in a cruel way. He does it in a very matter of fact way. Like you have to value money for what it does for people. And he's not really grasping in the way it's initially kind of implied. He respects money and what it can do and what it can do for everyone. And not in that he needs to hold it. He needs to like, you have to earn your worth. Like you have to be productive and earn the money. You can't just ask people for it is the point. And which is Dali's upbringing, right? Like somebody else will take care of the money. It will come from somewhere. Something will be, happen because she's fortunate enough to have been brought up in that thing. The other aspect of this is the found family thing. Mm. So Dali has, of course, her adopted family, but she also has an adopted brother who's played by Huang He. So Ju Wontak, he's in that... Oh. Yeah, he's in that category where usually his character would have been... He's so cute. His character <laughs> usually would have been turned into a second lead or something. But instead of that, they actually have such great like you know adopted sibling relationship like he's technically not adopted but Dali's father treated him pretty much like a son so he treats her like his own sister and they have like such a great relationship so there is that found family thing whereas Jin Mohyuk's actual family like he's such a good kid he tries so hard to just be there for his family, understand them. Like his father remarried after his mom died and has a secondary family. And he keeps putting the needs of the second family ahead of, well, Jin Mohyok. Basically, he comes second. And he's been okay with that throughout his life. My point is like, your own family can sometimes turn out to not be the greatest people in your life. Whereas the found family turns out to be more loyal and people you can depend on. And the drama really drills into this, like over and over again through different relationships. So all of that stuff put together, this was just like a warm bundle of joy. And again, <laughs> highly rewatchable. And, and also the, just the chemistry between them is just, just ah, sparkling, electric. So, yes. <laughs> we didn't have a chemistry award. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, although I feel like most electric adversarial Padma kind of covered some of that, although not all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly different things. Before I move on to my number two drama, I just want to say like what you were saying about, I mean, I didn't watch Dali and Kamjatang, but what you were saying about the heroine and how she never did the the easy thing. She always tried to do the right thing, even when that was the most difficult path. And I think that's what really grounded and centered idol the coup as well because everything you were saying about Tali it also reminded me of Kim Jenna and how like there were so many times where everyone was looking to her as the leader and she had this like incredibly calm dignified loving energy and like I cannot believe this is her first acting role because she's so she seems so experienced incredible yeah she just is that character and there are so many times when she could have taken a more financially lucrative way or an easier way or a less humiliating way or mm. a less emotionally taxing way. I mean, she always consults with her team and she never makes a decision on her own pretty much through the, the whole drama. But they're always like, yeah, let's do. She leads them to the more just right decision that they're going to be able to live with for the rest of their lives rather than like doing what's expedient in the moment. Yeah. And it's like hard to make a character that good without making them boring. But she was never boring. And it seems like Tali had that same quality of like someone that you like look up to and admire and are like rooting for. And yet yeah. like never in any moment are you like, 
this person is too good. I don't want to watch them on screen, you know, like where you have some people like that. They're just bland because they're too good. Yeah. And oh, just one more point about Dali. Like I told you guys, she's established as a really intelligent woman. That doesn't actually fade away. That's not just like a character beat that they forgot about in the rest of the drama. She remains really, she thinks things through. Yes, she goes through, like she does things that are, that don't pan out. It's not like every move she makes is brilliant. But like she learns, you can literally see her learning the trade of running a museum and what she needs to do. And she's learning from Jin Mohak as well. As he does things that work, she learns from that. But then again, she's really, really, she sticks to her path, right? So if he advises her to do something that goes against her moral stance, she will not butt. Like, you cannot make her budge. And he tries, but she will not budge. And because she's really smart, this is what I love about the drama. The final conflict that happens, she's the one who resolves it. Because she's smart. Guys, come on. Because she's the heroine of her own story. Yeah. The lead in her own life. So the thing that you are like, oh my God, how is this ever going to be resolved? She resolves it. So it's, yeah, I I just love it. I I love the whole thing. I honestly shocked that there's going to be a drama that will even top this for you. (laughs) There is, and you guys know which one it is, but we will get to that in a minute. Not shocked by what it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we explicitly mentioned it to listeners, but like this is our first time actually telling each other these numbers. But I feel like a lot of them we had kind of predicted um, just from like because we know each other. But this is our first <laughs> time actually officially telling each other. Here's my number one. I think our number, number ones are going to be no surprise to us. But the number threes and twos have been interesting. Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> I was very surprised by Borma's number three. I gotta yeah, say, I was not absolutely. expecting that. I was surprised by yours as well. Like, this is all new and interesting to me. I was surprised by my own number three because I came in with having just two. And I decided basically over the last hour or two that I would also have a number three. <laughs> and what that number three was. It's your number two next, Anissa. What second best of the year for you? So I feel like this is unsurprising in the extreme, but my number two drama is Vincenzo, starring Song Joong-gi, Jun Yo-bin, and the amazing cast and characters that populated this drama, including Taekyun, Kwak Dong-yeon. I mean, this was such a great ensemble drama. I think what stuck out to me so much, and I think this is like kind of a running theme for me, is the dramas that I ended up really loving surprised me. Like some of them had really weird premises that I did not think that could be pulled off, honestly. Like Yumi Cells, I did not have confidence that they were going to pull that off. And even though it's not in my top three, I really did love it. And they pulled it off. DP, I was like, I don't want to watch this military drama. I wasn't planning to watch it. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, too bad. I'm going to miss Jung Hyun and what's probably going to be a good role for him. And it ended up being so good. Vincenzo, I was like, what is this show about like a Korean mafioso? Like who wants (laughs) to watch that? That's so strange. Right. But every single thing about it worked for me. And I watched many of these episodes twice because I think I watched like episodes one through six Mm -hmm. on my own. And then I went, I told my sister, I was like, you're going to love this. And so then I watched again from episode one through six. And then we finished the drama together. I think this is the kind of show where like either the tone either works for you or it doesn't. And I think it's because the sense of humor is specific. And so if that Mm -hmm. sense of humor doesn't work for you, I think the drama won't work for you. But for me, it was like exactly the things that made me laugh. Like it was made in a lab to make me laugh. Like it was just (laughs) everything that I, you know, like there were so many things and so many moments. And we mentioned all of this, so I don't want to like endlessly go on about it. But like not a moment was wasted Every episode was a complete story in itself. 
that felt like a film. And yet at the same time, it was doing so much to advance the overall narrative. Mm -hmm. The characters were so well drawn. The anti-hero at the center, and then you had John Yobin's lawyer character, Han Chaeyoung, who was like kind of figuring out what her moral standing was throughout the drama. You had, you know, Vincenzo was kind of this fulcrum around whom all of these people were moving. And it was just so beautifully executed. You know, you had the evil prosecutor, you had uh, the multiple evil prosecutors, I'm sorry, you had <laughs> yeah. Tex character who had the most amazing twist reveal that I've ever seen at the end of episode four, like... That was just like jaw dropping. I had it spoiled for me, but I didn't allow my sister to have it spoiled for her. And it was enjoyable to to watch her find (laughs) out and like just see her reaction. You know, I told my parents about this. My parents loved it. We talked about the music and how beautifully done that was. Even most of the time when we have these foreign adoptees who come back to the homeland, they speak in like this You know, it's supposed to be like their native language that they picked up overseas, but it's so unnatural. But like Vincenzo's Mm -hmm. slow Italian worked so well because it was like menacing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like he spoke slowly, but it seemed like he was doing it on purpose. Yeah. Song Joong-ki's charisma really made this work. Yeah. Because if they hadn't cast him, I don't think that this character, like the way that everybody around him is supposed to react to him, both to his charisma and his like the threat that he represents. I don't know of a lot of other actors that would have been able to be like that charming and that scary in the way that he pulls off. He does have that face. He does. He has a scary baby face. He does. (laughs) You know, people always talk about his having this baby face and I'm like, I don't see it. He has this sort of round kind of face that is... Ageless. Baby-ish kind of. But like there's so much menace in it. Like he's more scary because of his baby face. Mm, I don't know if that is making sense to you guys, but like he's got the perfect villain face. He does. He does. And you know, the other thing that I really appreciate about this drama is like, it wasn't, as we mentioned earlier, it wasn't one of those vigilante dramas where like at the end, the drama just undoes everything that it's been saying it's going to do for like 18 or 19 episodes. No, like the ending was very appropriate. Things happened the way that they should have happened according to, you know, the characters and their motivations and what they'd been doing this whole time. Like everything made sense. I was really satisfied with the ending, the whole, the journey that he goes on and that Janu, that Chayan goes on like with the other residents of the building. Yeah. Like, every relationship was so interesting and funny. I even loved the NIS agent, which is like, oh, no. <laughs> why, <laughs> That's why? not we what don't we normally love do. Intelligence agents. <laughs> yeah, but he, even yeah. he was so cute. Yeah. Also, like, I started watching this in March, and that was, like, a very stressful time for me. And this was just, like, such a perfect stress relief drama, too. I Like, I laughed until I cried. Also cried... And kept crying in some moments. I mean, the emotions, you know, like sometimes the serious emotions of a drama work really well, but the humor doesn't. Or the humor works really well, but the serious moments don't quite live up to that. But in this, like, it was so perfectly balanced. Everything was so satisfying. It was just like a full meal every time you sat Mm, down. Yeah. And I just really, really enjoyed it from beginning to end. And it was very, like, watchable. Like, it. you didn't have to work to watch it. It kind of watched itself. Like, you (laughs) can just... You got on the ride and it deposited you at the end. And you're like, oh, let's go again, again. When I told my sister about it, I was like, it's Saturday. Why don't we just, like, watch one episode? It's really good. I think we watched four episodes (laughs) that Saturday. And they're, like, not short episodes. Yeah. He said, it's so watchable. 
You don't mm. feel the length. Like it's not laborious in the way that for some dramas you really have to sort of get into the headspace. You have to make yourself sit down. And maybe other people are smarter than I am. And they just, at that point, they're like, that's not a drama I need to watch if I have to work so hard to watch it. But Vincenzo wasn't like that at all. And I'm saying this partly because I'm just jumping in to piggyback on you because Vincenzo is also my number two. Oh and my god! You've kind this of has covered. never happened before. <laughs> We've never picked the same thing. <laughs> You've covered so much of everything that I really loved about it. And in the previous episode, I think we talked at length about all of the brilliant things about this show. But what really kind of separates Vincenzo from a kind of run-of-the-mill black comedy, if that can even be a thing, is that its ending really elevated it. Like the way that it stayed true to its trajectory and it didn't come back down and reverse it on itself. The way that it didn't force Song Joong-ki and Jon Yobin into a kind of manufactured happy ending and call that the conclusion. Like that wasn't the journey that these characters were on. Even if, you know, that tension and those feelings and those things existed, it wasn't their point. And I really liked that they were able to stay independent to who they each were. And they both fulfilled their own lives in their own ways according to their own principles. But they were still able to choose to have a relationship without either of them having to sacrifice some important part of how they wanted to live their lives. And it was just, yeah, I mean, everything about the way the show began and like continued in the middle, but the ending really, really is what separated it from being a kind of ordinary and forgettable drama. And of course, in Zagi the Pigeon. <laughs> you know what's unique about Vincenzo? It's very rare that a drama this ambitious actually fulfills all of the promises that it yes, made to you. 100%. And it fulfilled every single promise. Yeah, it did not neg on a single one. You know, that can be so disappointing in a show, particularly in a show that you've been so invested in. And the shows that we talked about having such good beginnings, such strong beginnings. And we don't mean one thing when we say they had a strong beginning. We mean that they set up something that we really wanted to see pay off. And so when you get to the end and not only has it not been paid off, but you've actually been betrayed, that's mm. like treachery like you know Pissinger you can't do this there's a contract you know there's a contract between the you and the show and like this is one of the things that I was thinking about as I finished actually as I finished Luca which is that you know are we owed happy endings and I think the answer to that is quite simple no we're not but we are owed appropriate endings endings that are true to the journeys that we've been on with mm -hmm. these characters and that's the contract the contract is the setup that you create is the one that you must pay off in order to finish a show in a way that is fulfilling and correct and I don't mean correct in a formulaic way I mean correct in that you have interpreted these characters and the things that they've been through to end in this place that is real to what you've created and that sort of respects you as a viewer and the investment that you've put into it that you are getting your time's worth or your money's worth hmm. so Vincenzo did pay that off magnificently I absolutely agree <laughs> and my last word on that is just that, like, if I could choose my favorite episode of television from 2021, it would be episode four of Vincenzo. Just, just a masterpiece. Oh, now that you've raised that, can I can I add my favorite episode of 2021 that is not actually in Vincenzo? I think I've spoken about it in a past yak, maybe. But, like, 
episode six of my name, Masterclass. Okay, mm. that's it. Agreed. <laughs> Highly agreed. Are we coming up to the number ones? Yeah. We need a drum roll, Barma. What's your number one? <laughs> My number one. The shocking reveal. The, the complete, nobody expected this. Is Yumi Cells. <laughs> yes, I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> I'm I mean, shook. Who would have thought? Didn't just... see that one coming. <laughs> yeah. So why Yumi Cells? I think I'm out of words. I think I've talked about it so much. I feel you. I feel you. So yes, we have an entire spoiled yak about why Yumi Cells. But if you can give us like a short condensed version of like what was so special about this show yeah so initially what i liked about yumi cells was how kim goyeon's character kim yumi was broken down in terms of reactions to situations inner thoughts that you have during interactions conflicting feelings like where you can't make up your mind about how you feel about a situation and all of that shown to us as actual conflict like they basically Yumi Cells does the incredible job of taking internal conflict and making it external. Like they take conflict happening inside you, they bring it out in front of you, and then they make those conflicting parts inside you fight each other <laughs> as animated characters. <laughs> <laughs> and while that is happening, in real time, you can see Yumi reacting to a situation. Like if she's in an uncomfortable situation and she is split between how do I react to this situation? You can see the cells inside her having that conversation and figuring out what the consequences of a reaction would be. And like all of this stuff happens inside us in a split second. But you can see that in real time happening in Yumi cells. And that is what charmed the pants off me in the initial <laughs> episode, right? Because the main romance of Yumi cell doesn't even start till like second episode, late second episode. That is not something that if you are going to love Yumi Cell, you're probably going to love it in the first episode, pretty much. Even though technically the actual conflict doesn't start there. Can I add something to what you said about how the emotions or the different parts of her are personified? Yeah. A lot of people compared this to Inside Out in the beginning, which, you know, it's a pretty obvious comparison. Mm -hmm. The Pixar film where like you have the five different emotions. While I think that's a fair comparison, I think this does it so much better because... Instead of them just being like one very broad emotion that can be used in so many different situations, the cells are so specific to like very particular parts of your day and of your life and of your like inner world. Mm. And what they're able to do with that is so interesting because you have, you know, the conflict between reason and sensitivity and like how perennial is that inside us you know you have your logical brain saying one thing i mean i didn't love that they made reason into a dude but mm. you know we have covered this conflict yes, yes. In this point. i know i wasn't there so i'm just ah. putting it out there but for example very specific the fact that they have an encyclopedia of like all of her embarrassing moments that are like recorded you know and like it allows you to explore so many more things in a more complex way whereas inside out was very macro in that sense mm. and it worked great for you know a coming of age story but this is an adult woman with a lot of things going on in her life and yeah it was just so perfectly or done actually this is an adult woman with not much going on in her life but like her internal world is rich like every interaction creates a conflict like a conversation a simple conversation with a co-worker can like if I say this it would make me look uh, 
stupid. If I say that, they might think something else. What do I say in this situation? This entire thing that happens in a split second becomes too navel gazy in most other dramas. If you do it, it, it becomes like plodding, like you're spending too much time mm. in this one moment. Why is this important? But because they take that split second moment and then turn it into a drama inside her head. So there's like a ton going on inside her head because each cell is in conflict with the other. Right. Because then you have anxiety over here and like stinginess saying something else. And then like, uh, you know, love saying something else and hunger being like, I'm hungry, feed me. And that's like so real. (laughs) (laughs) Hunger is popping up and you have a lot of big drama going on being like, I'm hungry, feed me. And you're like, not right now. Agreed. And then I think one of the smartest thing they did was they had a main cast of cell characters that were constantly like running her life or running Yumi in her life. And then they had special characters that came out at certain situations where very, you know, unique things were happening in her. Like, mm. like something that triggered her. It's not a daily thing, but something that triggers her in a certain way brings out hysteria, for instance. And then you're like, oh, like she's she, like the other cells are running around the village trying to control Hysterius because Hysterius is just like dooming everyone, like shutting everything down <laughs> okay. and taking over the world. <laughs> but it's honestly like so relatable. <laughs> Agreed. And so that is the best thing because Yumi honestly doesn't have much happening in her life. She goes to her office. She very occasionally goes out on blind dates and stuff. She meets this dude. They get into a relationship. They have their very, like, these are very typical conflicts that happen in a relationship. But because of the richness inside Yumi, and also, Mm. this is the second thing that just, like, really grabs you. The way she is in a relationship, like, I think the main arc with Yumi, something that stays with you practically forever, is she starts as a woman who really needs to be in a relationship. She hates that she's alone. She does not like loneliness. And then when she's in a relationship and her other half isn't spending time with her, she doesn't know what to do with herself because she's not used to really appreciating time with herself. That's how Yumi starts off. Yeah. And the fear of being alone keeps her from expressing herself fully. Exactly. And then by the end of the drama, though, Yumi has gone through a transformation, like not in like some horrible way, but in like a quiet growth type of way where her cells have also transformed. Like the cells have had like personality arcs. They've had transformation arcs. Come on, you guys. It's amazing. (laughs) So good. And there's like major Game of Thrones shit happening. (laughs) 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 Like coups are happening and people like power dynamics are changing. And finally, Yumi reaches a point where she just she starts to choose herself over the safety and security of being in a relationship. She chooses herself and then she chooses herself. And then she finally gets to a point where Her own company is not the worst nightmare. Like, she is so important. She becomes her number one. It's just such a lovely journey to be on. And I'll finally add to that. Then you have An Bo Hyun's perspective, who's her love interest in the season. And every time, again, you know, practically from the initial episodes when they have started dating, what might go wrong between them. And that builds very slowly to the point where you're like, is this even going to be an issue? But then they are so good at like slowly building the conflict till you're eventually when 
the end happens, you know exactly why it's happening, why everything is happening. And it doesn't matter that you love Anboyoung's character. You love Kuyung. Kuyung is just, he's sweet, he's sexy, he's just really smart. And he can be so sensitive and he can be so frustrating. <laughs> and all of that stuff together makes like this excellent romance. And you still don't mind how it ends. So, I mean... <sighs> It's the best. It's the best of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the drama you'd make everyone watch if you could, right? Oh my God, yes. Have I not been telling everybody to watch it? I have like literally gone on like yeah. a rampage. <laughs> Rather like a hunger cell by the sound of it. <laughs> yes, that's very likely. I started it because of you. Oh, where, where are you? So in the first episode? <laughs> I am in the first episode, yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> So it's my turn next and like Saya has already filled in my choice in the doc because she knows what it is. I would be shocked if I was wrong at this point. If you're not wrong. <laughs> it's run on. Sometimes you just come across a drama and you're like, oh, this was written for me. Mm. And that's what run on was. It was written for me. I mean, this insomniac freelancing sweatsuit wearing, you know, kind of blunt can speaking. be blunt. Yeah. Can be kind of blunt, but has a really giving and generous heart underneath. Is like brutally honest with people at times. A little socially awkward. Doesn't quite know where she is in her life. Trying to make something of herself. But Mm -hmm. doesn't, yeah, speaks up when she needs to. Underpaid. I mean, I just, there were so many things that I related to. And at the same time, like, Shin Se-kyung was aspirational at the same time like she was so emotionally brave Mm -hmm. and I loved that so much and I think the way that her I mean I talked about this already but like she meets Sungyam and you see these two people who are traveling in these sort of parallel paths and their path joins at a certain point and instead of it merging they just kind of like choose to go in a new direction next to each other And, like, neither of them loses who they are, but they become, like, a better version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And not because they fell in love, but because they, like, worked on, you know, expressing who they are and what's important to them better. That was so magical and beautiful. Shiwan was so good. And he's so good at these types of characters who say a lot without actually speaking. I think that was one of the things that he did really powerfully in me saying he's different in this, but he expresses so much without saying all that much and that's that's a gift so and then the secondary couple played by dana who's played by Young, and kang Teo, who plays Younghua. like those two the way they kind of crash into each other's lives and have leave like ripple effects that are going to last for many years to come and just like the class commentary that was present pretty much in every character the dialogue which was like I just wanted to, like, write down every line and quote it because they were so good. Like, these were long episodes. I didn't care. The music was so good. Yeah, I just, I loved all the movie references. This show had so many movie references. And, like, as a movie nerd and film critic-esque person, I don't know if I can fully call myself a film critic, but I have been one. Yeah, it was just made for me. I just enjoyed everything about it. It was, like, a romance, but it was slice of life, and it was slice of life done perfectly. (laughs) I think, you know, some of the best relationships that I saw all year, not just romances, but like family relationships, sibling relationships, work relationships. The way they talked about money was really refreshing. The weirdness of it, like it (laughs) was weird in the most enjoyable way. And the things that I think really like curl up in my heart and stay there are the things that are like just weird enough. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what I, I just loved it. I just loved it so yeah, much. It's like the slightly off keyness, which is what made yes. it even land even more keenly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That was very, I'm making a hand gesture that nobody can see, but like perfectly put. <laughs> oh, thank you. I guess it's time for me to also introduce my incredibly surprising number one drama. <laughs> oh dear. So no prizes for guessing. My top drama of the year is Beyond Evil. I don't know if I've actually talked about this beyond the opening episode at all this year, the opening few episodes at all this year. I don't think you have. So this was a drama that started airing quite early in the year. I think it was February or so. And I mean, it kind of took me the whole year to watch it. So <laughs> this was one that I think I got up to the halfway mark and I was watching it live at that point. And so it was about to embark on the second arc of its longer arc. And then I was like, okay, I have to pause this because I need to write about this before I know about what happens next. And then I paused it and then it was Ramadan and then all sorts of things happened. And then before I knew it, it was like November. And then I was like, there is one drama I want to talk about in the year end, Jack. Like one drama and I need to finish it. So then I went back to the beginning and I rewatched the first half. And then I watched the second half. And I was just like, by the end, it was kind of that feeling of if... I only got one good thriller a year and it takes me a whole year to watch it. That's a good year. So it's one of those slow starting, weird, kind of almost campy, small town noir. And you know how they feel a bit kind of weird, a bit offbeat. And then you've got like Shin Hakyun, who's just like, he's so good. And then... The drama centers around like these two men, so Shin Hakyun and Yojingu. You know the the old grizzled detective and this young, overly clean, nitpicky. Yeah, he's like this nitpicky, picky, fuzzy. Yeah, all of those words are fine, but the Korean word is the best. I know, but <laughs> we need the translation. He's just this. Very particular. There's an English word that I just can't think of right now, like, well, but I know there is one. Snickety or something. <laughs> Almost, yeah. Yeah, there is one that's in my head and it's not coming out right now. So he's that kind of person who is just very, like, he likes everything to be neat and tidy. He doesn't like getting dirt on himself. He doesn't like getting his shoes muddy. And if a dot of mud goes on it, he's like immediately cleaning it. So he's got these quite typical character set up in some ways. But then as you kind of go on in the show, you discover that also he's kind of driven by ego. So there's this element of ego to Yojingu's character, which is really the thing that makes him so interesting and so different. Like he could just be this uptight young detective who likes to do things by the book and who has this desire to uncover the truth and solve crimes. But that desire is sort of driven by an equal desire to be recognized and to not be wrong. And that in turn creates a blind spot or many blind spots in his character where he just drives himself further away from what actually happened because he's fixed on an outcome that he wants to reach. So there's this kind of relationship between him and Shin Hakyun, which is just it's a weird kind of miltang, like this antagonistic push-pull relationship where they're partners, so they're partnered up when they meet. And you know, we talk about adversarial panmal, 
there's there's just this such an enjoyable part of their relationship is actually the opposite. They have an adversarial chondemmal. So they're like just icily formal with each other all mm. the time. And it's so good because they never drop that formality. And then as the show goes on, you reach these points. And like, so the first time that Shin Hyukyun's character, Dongchik, just something happens and he's like, Juona. Yojingu's character's name is Juon. And that moment, the first time, maybe even the only time, he refers to Han Juon, Yojingu's character, in that way. He's like, Juona. It's like everything comes alive and you're like, whoa, it's such a huge moment in their relationship. So, oh, there's just. Their relationship is so, so interesting because their characters are so weird and offbeat. And Shin Hyukyun is like, so he was wrongfully accused of a crime when he was younger. And it's the murder of his sister. And actually, like, you're never even quite sure if he was wrongfully accused or not because he plays it in this very ambiguous way. So he's this kind of unhinged, almost manic character at times. And then you realize, again, as the show goes on, that his like manic laughter is maybe is something like a grief response. And so there's all of that. But then there's the whole atmosphere of the show. There's the mood of the show. It's very dark. It's very dark and warm at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense. You know, that small town like community cohesion. Mm. There's a cast of characters of people who populate this small town. It's not even a small town, it's a village. And these characters are people who clearly have so much history. They've known each other their whole lives. And you kind of get a repetition of this line that, you know, in Manyang, in this in this town, there's no secrets. And the way they bring that knowledge that people have about each other to bear in the story is also really, like, highlighted by the existence and presence of Yojingu's character, who is the outsider, so he becomes the lens through which you view this town. And the way the drama shifts its gaze from Tongshik, Shin Hyukyun's perspective to Yojingu's, it's just really interesting because you get this sort of insider-outsider forces that kind of meet. And the way that you kind of are always off balance as a viewer, but not in a bad way, like you're on edge, but not in a bad way. And it's actually very exhilarating. And then there's all of the secondary characters. You've got people like uh, Che Deun. He plays sort of rascally, lovable scamp type of characters. And here he sort of takes it one level up where he is a rascally, lovable scamp, but he also could be darker. He could be hiding things that we don't know. And then there's all of that stuff. So, I mean, I could go on about this all day. And there's all of the big stuff, you know, with... Like the choices that people have to make about their own actions and then they're in these positions where they have to deal with their own wrongdoings. You have this outsider, Yojingu, and Yojingu is so, so good in this. I mean, Shin Hyakyun is good, is always good, we know he's good, but Yojingu is still an actor who, despite his experience, you can still see him developing his skills with every role that he's in. And he's an actor in particular that I don't like in romantic roles, but I think he's so good in these sort of ambiguous, dark, dramatic roles because he just, like Juengung face, he does so much with his face. He does so much with things he doesn't say. And there are these moments in the drama where he and Shin Hyun are having a scene and they do not speak a single word to each other, but they have had an entire conversation. And it's all in these like micro expressions and looks and you can understand the conversation that they're having and it's just so good and they're, they're so intense. And uh, yeah, 
Like they say nothing and a whole thing has happened and you are following the thing that has happened. And then they have this whole relationship of sort of backwards helping each other where they're being rude and mean to each other constantly while helping each other constantly. And they have this accord that they don't even need to communicate that they want to do a thing. They're always on the same page, even when they are complete odds, like the easy way in which they fall into each other's beats. So the drama starts from the perspective of Shin Hyun's character. And then at a point it turns and it is carried by Yojingu to the end. And the way that it turns and the way that it shifts its focus from one character to the next is just so good. Like the emotions are so big, but also small and also desperate and painful and all of those things. And then it's just, yeah. And I'm being very abstract because I don't want to spoil anything, but this is a drama I think both of you would really like. I don't know if that was convincing, though. (laughs) It was convincing. I just have, like, so many things to watch. I'm still trying to finish the last reluctant bromance detective drama that you you told me to watch at the end of last year. (laughs) Yeah, I'm stuck on episode five. so good. I'm waiting for season two of that. This is my kind of drama, I think. You think? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no surprises, but I'm happy for you. So that rounds up our favorites. Yeah. So now that we've wrapped up all of our personal favorites and gone around all of the houses of Dramaland, we want to reflect a little bit on Dramas Over Flowers year in Dramaland, which has seen some pretty big things happen for us. And we have kind of been going nonstop. Yes. So do you guys want to take us through a quick rundown of all of the things that Gokuma has done this year? Yeah, so we crossed the 100 episode. We are over a century, I guess. (laughs) And in September, we celebrated our fourth anniversary of Dramas Over Flowers. So we're sitting at over four years, which is insane. But somehow here we are. Yeah. (laughs) And at this point, we released over 120 episodes. Wow. That's a lot. So many. How many woman hours is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of women hours. So many woman hours. And undoubtedly, this has been the year that we have probably created the most number of episodes. Yes. So that's something to be proud of, too, given that we are all like at our busiest right now. Yeah. I mean, where did we even get the time to do all of that? I don't know. But something (laughs) drove us, man. And we were Idiocy and insanity. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. Both Love both and passion. Them. Oh, sorry. That's what I meant. <laughs> also insomnia. <laughs> and our insomnia and oven passion and idiocy, all of that was rewarded because our podcast started ranking. We got into the top 50s in Apple Podcasts. Now, when I'm talking about ranking, we're specifically talking about Apple Podcast ranking because those are across the board accepted by all podcasters. Everybody's on Apple. So that's what we're going with. We got into the top 50s in UK, US, Finland, Russia. And when I say top 50, this is like ranking from between like something like 15, 16 to all of like 45. So that's like an entire range. But most importantly, in South Korea, something about being in the top 50 in TV reviews category in South Korea makes you think there are listeners in South Korea who... Listen to us. Tuning in to hear what we're saying. Enough that we got into their top 50. That is just incredible. That's super cool. (laughs) In other parts of the world, 
we got into the top 10s in Denmark, Germany, Panama, Sri Lanka, Philippines, Singapore, and quite a few others. But these are the countries that keep bringing us and putting us on our top 10s. And this Mm. has been happening throughout the year. And we also reached the number one spot in Kazakhstan, Pakistan, and India. (laughs) What? The homelands are supporting us. (laughs) You know what's weird, though? Also, like, we all have personal connections to all of these countries because, obviously, my family's from Pakistan. Parma's in India. My dad also, like, lived and worked in Kazakhstan for a while. And my ancestors are actually from Uzbekistan, which is, like, right next to Kazakhstan. So, like, my ancestors are actually from Central Asia. So, like, very, very interesting. Very interesting. (laughs) I guess they've been doing their work. Yeah. (laughs) And we're thrilled with these numbers. Of course, we didn't expect it. And the number one spots, they've been happening especially recently. And the interesting thing about podcast charts is that you never stay on the chart in the same rank for too long because as more recent episodes come on for more podcasts, they jump ahead and you kind of come down out of the ranking. But what is incredible is that we repeatedly are going back On top. So we've actually hit number one in India twice in the last few weeks. Yeah. We have hit number one in Pakistan like three times in the last few months. Wow. We haven't even kept track of what's happening in the other countries because charts keep coming in and going out and we just cannot... You know, keep watching it week in yeah, and out. Yeah, you kind it's of blink not, and you miss it sometimes. Yeah, mm, yeah that yeah. happens. And also, it's not good for our mental health to obsess over ranking. <laughs> but since it's the year end and we are celebrating milestones... This is because of you guys. You put us up there. Yeah. It's incredible. We are so grateful. Yeah. What should we say? Kamsamida. <laughs> Saranghamida. <laughs> what else? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just so nice. So, yeah. so nice. Thank you. Yeah. Before we get too mushy, the mushy stuff is coming a little later. So hold on to your tissues. But we had other stuff going on this year, right? So much stuff. So yes. much stuff. You guys talk about yours first. <laughs> well, Anissa and I kind of started a whole new podcast, which has been incredible and humbling and so much work. So much work. <laughs> so much so work. Much work. <laughs> but so rewarding and yeah. so deeply emotional and so healing mm-hmm. in some ways. Why don't you tell the listeners what that is if they don't know it already, Saya? So the podcast is called Muslim in Plain Sight. And it's been really an experience. What we set out to do is, of course, this year was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And Anissa was considering writing her memoirs of how... Do you want me to say this or should you say this? Well, so what happened was I was like, I'm writing my memoir it's going to be about this like sort of parallel journey of like 20 years since 9-11 and also 20 years since I started to deal with a very severe and debilitating illness and that how like both of those things kind of derailed my life in certain ways. And then Zaya said, well, and hey. And then I derailed your life. Yeah. <laughs> and then you derailed my life. I'm so again. sorry. <laughs> I still feel so terrible about this because I don't think either of us had any idea of how big this project would become and how much it would consume our energy and our time and our emotions. But at the same time, we also didn't anticipate, and this is something that we've been reflecting on in the last couple of weeks in particular, how much of a therapeutic journey it would be for us as well, because 
like the burden of growing up Muslim under this enormous shadow and all of the things that that involves, which for us is always, we never need to speak about it because we know about it. But once you start speaking about it, there's just so much to unpack. And the fact is that you've lived like the last 20 years, having these unspoken things just exist as, you know, common knowledge between people who lived that way. But bringing out takes an extra level of work and effort and sort of emotional labor. But yeah, it has also been such an experience, like speaking with the people we've spoken to. So that podcast is like sort of interview centric. We speak to other people and they share their experiences with us about the things that they experienced. And we kind of mine their expertise for how they look back on these things through the lens of the things that they're doing now in their present and professional lives. And that's just been such a journey. And so much work. So, so much work. <laughs> so much work. I'm kind of crying over how much work it is. <laughs> well, the good thing about that one is it's one season. Inshallah, we're going to be we're going to be done soon. And then we can have that as a complete mm -hmm. a thing that we made. And then maybe at that point, I'll get back to working on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Oh, and because these guys don't keep an eye on it, but I kind of did. They were in the top hundreds in Denmark politics. Oh, really? We were. Yes, yeah. we were. <laughs> yes, oh, I saw that. Interesting. So that's not easy, guys. They just launched their podcast in September and it's just been a few months and they are already. And politics is like a hard category to start ranking in. But they did it. It's also yes. like Denmark. Why Denmark of all places? <laughs> right. Like that's so interesting. Like we're not even Denmark actually has like a it. really thriving. Like you see a lot of right wing and left wing podcasts doing really well in Denmark. So it's actually an interesting place where like people huh. are accessing very diverse political ideas. So so yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. And also like we haven't really put as much work as we ought to have in promoting it because. We're just so busy making it. We just didn't yeah. have the bandwidth, yeah. honestly. And we don't have, like, minions <laughs> to do that for us. So. Would that we did, if yeah. only. Yeah, it's all on us, so. But also, like, we have to say Barma has been amazing and supportive in doing all of her wizardry yes. that she always does. Yes. We couldn't have done it without, without you, P. And your advice, <laughs> not just, like, your actual work, but your... Make a trailer right now before you drop this podcast, you fools. <laughs> she didn't have the fools part, but, you know, she should have. I think I did say the fools part. <laughs> it was implied. It was heavily implied. And speaking of which, let's talk about your accomplishments. Yes. Okay, these are not accomplishments, but these are oh, kind come of on. That's not projects true at that all. are apparently... All of your projects are brilliant. And the only bad thing about them is that... <laughs> There's less of it than I want there to be. Yeah, selfishly, we just want more. <laughs> oh my God, only you guys would say that. Not true. Okay, so <laughs> there are two things that I was doing this year. One thing that I started in 2020 was the Drama Nodes YouTube channel. I think I posted like four videos in 2020, but 11 videos in 2021. <laughs> I'm and so all of them not were so winning. good. <laughs> I'm they were so good. Quality so over good. quantity. Come on. But I suppose having a little more quantity would really help you because yeah, YouTube <laughs> <laughs> kind of really needs you to be more regular with your output, which I am, fingers crossed, I'm going to be doing in 2022. That's my resolution. Unless 
Now you need to tell us about TCP. Right. Okay. So TCP. (laughs) It's not an antiseptic gel. It is. (laughs) So the Creative Procrastinator is a podcast that I started early in 2021. And I dropped one episode in April. And then she's been procrastinating ever since. (laughs) Creatively. Very creatively. Incredibly creatively. Look at everything else she's put out in that time. Exactly. But yeah, so I finally recorded a second episode and it's scheduled to drop on 3rd January. I'm so proud of myself. I'm so excited to listen because if if our listeners haven't heard it already, I mean, go and look it up. Her first episode is actually like life-changingly good. I listened to it and I was like, where's the next one? Where's the next episode? Like a gog because I need it in my life because I'm not a creative person procrastinator i am merely a procrastinator oh yeah yes, same so, <laughs> i'm the most basic kind of procrastinator right? i just don't do things like the worm lying at the bottom of the tray drying in the sun yeah that's me wow that image leaking fluids <laughs> oh god all of you are way more creative than i am so that just does not work <laughs> But yeah, so those those are my projects, which I have honestly I've been procrastinating on both of them, but the podcast more so. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> it's but, in the name. Know, yeah, it, it's it's part of the concept. It, it was right. all it's like performance art. It's I was planned, I was exactly. proving I was proving a point. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, it's it's relaunching on January third. I'm looking forward to it dropping, and I'm also parallelly publishing these episodes as videos on. So basically, I'm doing two YouTube channels. This is going to (laughs) suck. 2022 is going to suck. Except you love video editing. So it's not going to suck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, so that's that's where I'm at. Fantastic. So this year has like we have been consuming a lot of media, some really interesting stuff. What do you guys recommend to our listeners? Like what should they know about that is not in their life yet? Oh, man, I want to jump in and give credit to Anissa for introducing me to this right now, because, you know, we probably all three of us don't actually listen to other K-Drum podcasts because, you know, creative reasons and you just don't necessarily listen to in the genre that you work in. But I actually spent this year listening to a lot of podcasts entirely outside of K-drama. And there's one that Anissa introduced all of us to, which is just so good. And it's called Citations Needed. I've been listening to a lot of political news discussion podcasts. But this one, we listened to it and we're like, we just need to never talk again because how do you get, like, the level? The level is just... And the premise is basically like critiquing the way that media portrays and does not portray things and how like media bias works. Mm -hmm. And so it just like deconstructs. Was it a history of BS, basically, is how they introduce themselves. (laughs) They're just so good. Yeah, Yeah, they're so smart. They're so interesting to listen to. They have, they cover so many things. Like the breadth of their research and their knowledge and the guests that they have. And even like the format and structure of the episodes, especially when you know how these things are made and you look at the way other people format the episodes, you can really appreciate more the way they put these things together. And they have a very specific format. Even the format is like genius. <laughs> Everything is so good about how they Oh, do and it. to say who they actually are, it's oh, sorry, Nima yes. Shirazi and Adam Johnson. Yes. So if anyone needs a new podcast to listen to, citations needed. Should I also mention you're wrong about, which I think everyone's heard of at this point. I think everyone has heard about it, but also we love it. So why not? Yeah, you're wrong about. 
And that's hosted by Sarah Marshall and formerly hosted by Michael Hobbs, who has left now, which is very sad. But they still have a huge body of work that covers the last like three or four years. And he has a podcast about like health and stuff called Maintenance Phase. Yes, which I also highly recommend. Excellent. It's so good. It's a slightly different topic, but it's so fascinating. And yeah, another one that I've been listening to is Enemies of the People, which is much more sort of UK politics based, which is something I really need because all of this good stuff is US centric. And I have been looking for a good UK centric one for a while. And that's been my listening diet for the last few months. How about you guys? My podcasts are pretty constant at this point. Probably my all-time favorite one is still Code Switch, although like at this point, because Shireen Marisol Miraji left and she was like my favorite person to mm. ever podcast. Yeah. And like also one of my role models, like she's left to go teach journalism students at Berkeley and I'm jealous of her students. Why do they need a teacher? Like, she should just do a <laughs> Yeah. She came back for, like, a guest episode, and I was like, Shireen! <laughs> but yeah, now, like, she's gone, and Jean is on parental leave. Yeah. With the other, so I'm, I'm just, like, lost. <laughs> it's like my parents have split up and gone oh, no. to other places. Not yeah. quite that bad, but, like, yeah. But yeah, that's still, like, my number one favorite, because it just combines all the things that I love and care about. And then I also... Yeah, discovered citations needed this year, which is brilliant. And it like covers so many of the things like as a media nerd and like a cultural studies nerd, it just tickles my brain in all the best ways. And I just enjoy it so much because, you know, when you like listen to somebody doing something that you really enjoy at like a really high level of excellence, like that satisfaction Mm. is so special. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved Throughline, so I've loved that. It's Throughline is an NPR podcast that like looks at historical events through the lens of the present and kind of looks at parallels and maybe like sort of reinterrogates the common narrative about those things that people know and often are wrong about. So that's also just like very, very well done, very well researched, incredibly well produced. Also, like I think, gives me a lot of pleasure to hear like two people with like Muslim names with a show on NPR where they can basically talk about whatever the heck they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and every time I hear them say their names, it gives me like an emotional feeling. Hmm. Although you mentioning NPR has reminded me that we haven't added to our achievements your appearance on 1A. <gasps> That's, That's right. true. That was yeah. huge. Anissa was on live radio. And you know, like that same week where we got the invitation from 1A for one of us to come on. I had applied for my job at WUNC, which is our local NPR station. And I was like kind of still doing the interviewing. I think a couple days after the interview, I found out from my current supervisor that they like wanted to offer me the job, but I could talk about it. (laughs) So like the producer for the 1A show was like, you have a great voice for radio. You should, maybe you'll have a career in radio. And I was like, can't say anything. (laughs) But I messaged her like a couple weeks later. I was like, I can finally tell you this. I'm actually going to be working. And my current supervisor actually used to work as a producer for 1A. So that's an interesting connection. But yeah, so I, I also got that job, which is, which has been very exciting as a podcast producer. <laughs> That's amazing. So, thanks to my teacher and mentor, Boroma. <laughs> Yay. Who taught me so many things. <laughs> and I was able to like actually translate it into 
a job, which is so cool. Every time she says that, I have I have like the instinct to like you like feel it surreal, me. right? <laughs> She's probably talking about someone else. The other Parma, yeah, <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> but you know, like legitimately, this friendship with the two of you has brought so many things into my life, and I'm so grateful. Ah, dude. Ah. Virtual but I can't hug. do emotions, so let's uh, <laughs> let's okay. move swiftly on. I have some recommendations, so things that I think our listeners should could be interested in. So, like Saya said, we don't often listen to a lot of other Ketama podcasts because you know, same industry, and we do this constantly. It, it's more refreshing to change medium when yeah. we are consuming mm-hmm. stuff. So, I actually consume a lot of long form YouTube videos. Video oh, essays so are just yeah. right. So, I in, forgot about this. <laughs> in K dramas, I found a couple of channels who don't upload very frequently. But when they do upload, it's like really high quality stuff. And there are two channels that I want to highly recommend. One is run by Mary TB. That's the name of the channel. And it's probably got Mary TB edits. And she uploads maybe once in two months or something. Like it's really infrequent. But she has a series on toxic relationships where she just compiles edits from various relationships. And then she explains exactly what kind of toxicity it is that she's explaining through drama, imagery and clips. And then does an entire essay on it that's mostly, you know, she mixes clips and the edits are the essay. You have to watch it to understand what I'm saying. But she blends it beautifully. This woman has a career in production, man. I hope whatever she's doing, it's related to that because she has talent. So Mary TV is one YouTube channel I would highly recommend. The other one is Yuan Productions. Y-U-A-N Productions. Oh, I've seen them around. Right? They started uploading a few video essays on so not just Korean dramas exactly, but kind of Asian drama tropes. Mm. And they did, again, there was one on female sexual offenders in K-dramas that I found. Oh, would really really fascinating the way they did it and again you know your mileage may vary but I love well done video essays and these are two essays that I really enjoy aside from that minor shout outs to my drama lists YouTube channel which is doing excellent Mm -hmm. work and also Bali drama which is a relatively new YouTube channel that's growing like really fast but they again do pretty interesting videos so if you are looking for you know more conversations on Korean dramas and you like YouTube then these are channels I would definitely recommend checking out also drama young okay i'm done now (laughs) (laughs) it's an unexpected treasure trove (laughs) yeah i want to check these out too i don't like usually seek out k-drama content on youtube but you've made me think that Mm. i should and often the things that i see come up in my feed can be very like drama specific and if it's something i haven't watched i'm likely not to click on the video Mm. and when they're more general then i'll be like okay let's see because i'm always looking for a good video essay on something i'm interested in Because that's also, I've discovered those this year as well. Like, they don't even need to be that long and they don't even need to be video essays. They can just be someone talking in the camera for an hour in a very interesting way. Or in the case of Sarah Zed, like three hours and I will listen. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's definitely been a find for me this year as well. Oh, also, I'm so sorry. How could I forget? Accented cinema, which Anissa, you know what I'm talking about? Such yes. a brilliant video essay is just accented cinema. Yeah. Check him out. Oh, have you yes. checked out the Voir? Oh, which I is like this. It's I like a have. I think it's a Netflix. Sounds French. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's like a Netflix documentary. And I think like the person who works on it's like a few different people was like David Fincher and like the film critic Drew McQueenie. And I think also like the accented cinema person is involved in some way. And also like Walter, Ch- like people that I really love and do cool work. And it's like Whoa. all about like, I'm not sure if it's like about sound or it's like on my list of things to check out, but I'm like purposefully not finding out too much about it <laughs> because I know it's made by people who I really like and I'm going to check it out. But that sounds super cool. And I've heard some very good things about it. And that's like, it's uh, one season and it's on Netflix. Oh, that sounds so really interesting. I haven't watched I have it yet. It. <laughs> so I can't like actually recommend it, but it's just like made from very cool people. No, so. it's, it's already been recommended to me by someone whose recommendation I highly trust when it comes to anything like movie tropey. And yes, yes. I second Anissa's recommendation. Let's let's watch this. This seems really mm. interesting. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a collection of visual essays celebrating the history of cinema. Mm. So for us movie nerds, definitely something to check out. Maybe it's too late to mention this, but I forgot that this is also the year that I translated BTS and President Moon's interview for Nightline. (laughs) I mean, I have this gap for you to fill your own achievements in. (laughs) I didn't know. No one told me we were going to fill in our own achievements. Also, I forgot because 2021 has been so long and weird. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you did some really fascinating translation work. And you also had that interview with... What's his name? Squid Game director. I also helped with, yeah, I also helped translate the director of Squid Game's interview for Nightline because the same people I worked with for the Moon Jae-in BTS interview contacted me again. So I had like a very short-lived career as a freelance translator and then I started working full-time and I was like, oh, I I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Anissa did it just long enough to really feel Ranon's character. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, actually, she also got scammed. Yeah. When I was watching Run On, I was actually like trying to get paid for the <laughs> subtitling work I did for that uh, like super shady content company that like yeah. was some contracting variety show content from Vicky. And they I were doing up. like, oh my God, they never paid me. They owed me like over $500 and they that just never paid me. That's bad. That's horrible. Yeah. So I'm naming and shaming them. It was BGMC, Bethel Global Media Contents. Don't ever work for them. Don't work for them. Yeah. They don't pay their freelancers. Evil That's garb. Too bad. They kept being like, oh, well, we don't use PayPal. Oh, you have to give us your like bank deposit information. And then like I tried getting them to pay me so many times and they just like eventually ghosted me. Oh, also, man. like our primary method of communication was cacao talk. <laughs> and then they would just like email me the assignments. But like if I wanted to talk to them, I had to use cacao <laughs> talk. And like I had to talk to them in Korean. And then like. In June, I think I did my first translation work for them in January, and I did like two different episodes. And then they were like, we can't pay you until March. And I was like, wait, but that's three months. They were like, that's how it works. And I was like, I'm not doing any more work for these people. <laughs> that's how it works. Where? In your imagination? <laughs> Nowhere. That in when the you're scab. a scammer. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was like June when I asked them something and they responded to me in English. And I was like, are you serious right now? <laughs> I've been asking you like financial questions about payment and like bank deposits and how it like very difficult Korean that I never learned. Like it's very difficult to do like work Korean. Yeah. So then I was like getting my friend to ask his parents how to word things because I didn't know the correct information of like, what do you call the paycheck when it's like being deposited somewhere? Like, because there's different words for all these things. You can't use like one word for payment. (laughs) Oh my God. And also like, I didn't know what the correct tone 
was to be like assertive without being rude and like professional, but also like not a doormat. Like so, but his oh, poor parents no. were so nice. And then also like his mom, he she was like, "Can you please also tell her like not all Korean people are like this?" I was oh. like, "Don't worry." Yeah. I was like, "Don't worry. I, I don't think that." But yeah, it was, it was a whole journey. <laughs> I'm exhausted by this journey. <laughs> like just listening to it, it's like so, it was so like, upsetting. Y'all bother so like so enraging. Yes. <laughs> anyway, but whereas, like in contrast, my experience with the ABC people, like the Nightline people, they were so nice. They provided me with so many like reference materials. Like the the other company, they were like they just like gave me the video file. I was like, is there like transcript? They're like, nope. And I was like, closed captions, like nothing. So I just had to like continuously listen. And you know, like in variety shows, it's not like a drama where yeah. everyone is enunciating their lines very clearly. And it's very easy to like pick up what they're saying. Mm-hmm. In variety shows, people will like mumble stuff and like talk over each other. If there's yeah. like three people talking at the same time, you have to translate all of that. There's like subtitles on the screen that you have to translate. Oh, my God. There's yeah. so much. And there were like 80 minute episodes. <laughs> Meanwhile, when I did the work for Nightline, they like provided me with a transcript. They provided me with a translation of the transcript. They provided me because it was like with an interpreter Mm. and they were like so nice and they paid me immediately i was like what is this (laughs) (laughs) is this how real work is meant to work (laughs) yeah it's so true oh my god (laughs) also juju tang is super nice the host wow she's super nice that's so cool this has really been a year to be involved in sort of kn right yeah it was pretty it's pretty crazy year (sighs) and i think that brings us to the very near end of our own journey through 2021 and all we've got left at this point is well it's the most important thing really because gratitude we wouldn't even be here exactly yes we wouldn't even be here without our amazing listeners our patrons our guests and everybody who's helped us carry on making episodes and turning up for recordings that last for eight hours (laughs) (laughs) And so we can't end without saying thank you to each and every one of them. So we want to start first by saying thank you to our guests who have come and joined us on our episodes throughout the year. We are so privileged that you took the time out of your schedules to speak with us and to share your knowledge and your expertise and your experiences. And those people are... So for the Minari episode, the Spoiled Yakon Minari, we had Refresh Demon and Yuna. And for our episode on school bullying, we had Professor Cedabel Seiji. And we had the honor of having just me on two episodes this year. On our Spoiled Yak on Mr. Queen and on Yumi Cells. And then we had Hello X-Rai on for our Spoiled Yak about True Beauty and... K-Fangirl joined me for our last section where we talked about Squid Game. K-Fangirl also joined us for an interview that was episode 96 and it was amazing. An amazing interview. Yeah, we really went properly into the background of how a creative blogger like her creates her K-drama empire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Time to take over the world, K-Fangirl. You can do it. We believe in you. And my real-life pal, Tina, came and joined you guys for an episode on web dramas, which was such a great episode. Thank you so much, all of you. And, ah, Tina, I haven't seen you for so long. (laughs) (laughs) I miss you. Thank you all for, like, hanging out with us, 
mm-hmm. on the virtual airwaves to talk about the things we love and for being our you know our friends and yeah it's been a great year with a lot of great guest appearances yeah lots of cameos lots, lots of cameos <laughs> lots of great cameos yeah so many all of whom were so nice to like juggle our schedule because the three of us are in three different time zones. So it's not easy <laughs> to finally figure out what timing also works for our guests. But they were yeah. patient and they were like supremely understanding. And some of them had to wake up really early. Some of them had to stay up really late. <laughs> so <laughs> we love all of you <laughs> for that. Yeah. And lastly, it has been A really long time since we've been able to sort of thank by name our patrons, especially those who've been with us since the start. So we want to close out with our deepest and most heartfelt thank yous and also all our love and finger hearts to EGADS, Stephen, Leah W, Hades, Graceful Egg, Davina, Sasha Ten, MCG, Humble Daisy, Eunice Che, Jojo, Rue, Katie Cole, Mindy, Liliana, Edith, Marcia, Una Tuna, Dr. Chi, Leslie H, GK, Lynette, Vani, Helena, Stacy, Hannah, Ezel, Natalie, Sarah Hope, Francis, David F, Eugene Young, Julia, O'Lakes, Fungi L, Lindsay, Safa, Diane, Mel G, Anonymous Otter, Frederica, D. Wynn, Abel, Ingat Kayo, Kitty C, DJ, Arlene F, Keisha Watson, Jesse, W Wallace, Rhonda AJ, and Tetsa. I hope I pronounced that right. Yes. Please forgive us if we mispronounced your names. Yes. We appreciate you so much. Yes. And we know this has not been an easy year for anybody. So it especially means a lot that you've stuck with us and you've supported us. Sorry for not being as regular with you know, like Patreon extras as we probably should have been with all the stuff that was going on. But like, we always think about you. We always try our best to do things that will add more to your experience of Dramas Over Flowers. Yeah, we're looking forward to doing more fun stuff. And thanks for making all of this possible. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. You can find us on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Anisa Khalifa underscore. You can find me at Not Now Sire. You can find me, Parma, at Festa Faster. And you can find Dramas Over Flowers on Instagram at dramasoverflowers underscore. And email us dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. Also sign up for our newsletter. Links in the description. And you can find us on Facebook. Just search Dramas Over Flowers. And you can find our website at dramasoverflowers.net where we post things sometimes. <laughs> Much less than we used to. <laughs> Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Okay, time for bed. Let's go. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for being with us all year, guys. Bye-bye. everyone i'm anisa i'm not anisa what do i do <laughs> should we switch identities for this podcast oh my god what is that? <laughs>
That's what we talked about in Sisyphus. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, yeah, I'm not Anissa. Why am I saying I'm Anissa? That was hilarious because, like, I had no idea about any of that. I was like, this happens? What is this? <laughs> we rushed to okay, finish. I'm not going to be embarrassed. Speaking of best person trying to be another person. <laughs> well, if, if I had to be someone. <laughs> okay, I'm not Anissa, but let's try that again. <laughs>